Welcome to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast with your host, Brad Johnson. Brad's the VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, the largest independent insurance brokerage company in the U.S. He's also a regular contributor to Investment News, The Wall Street Journal, and other industry publications. Welcome to the Elite Advisor Blueprint, the podcast for world-class financial advisors. My name is Brad Johnson, and I'm the VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel. And it's my goal to distill the best ideas and advice from top dot leaders and apply it to the world of independent financial advising. In this episode, I talk with Ryan Mickler. He's a financial advisor just like you, but he also happens to run a top 50 business podcast with over 250,000 downloads a month called The Order of Man. From his podcast, Tribe-like audience, over 33,000 members have joined his Order of Man private Facebook group, which is a thriving online community. And lastly, Ryan's a veteran who served our country in Iraq. So with all of that going on, Ryan has also somehow had the time to grow the most amazing beard to ever grace our podcast. So be sure to hop out to the show notes to see our video interview if you'd like to see his beard in action. So here are just a few of the highlights from our conversation. Starting off, a huge lesson on the power of authenticity that Ryan experienced with his clients when he decided to grow out his beard. Seems silly. Huge lesson here. Next, we talk about the difference between being an advisor and being a coach and how that can make an impact on your clients staying the course with the plan you've laid out. From there, we get into the incredible discussion on how advisors out there on radio can translate this to a podcast and where this technology is going and why it pays to be an early adopter. Then we dive deep on the framework Ryan used to create a thriving community in his private Facebook group and how if he was doing it for financial services, what it would look like and how he'd go about doing it. A quick note for you financial advisors out there as we talk about some ideas here that are very cutting edge on the podcasting, Facebook, and social media front to attract and retain clients. So as a reminder, these constitute advertising and depending on your licensing could be treated very, very differently. So please, before you decide to adopt any of these strategies recommended today, please ensure you understand the compliance requirements and limitations. And if you're an investment advisor representative, be sure you have prior approval from your RIA. That's it. Great ideas from Ryan here. Just make sure you're safe from a compliance standpoint before you run with them. So let's get to the conversation. All of the show notes are available at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash 25. As always, links to books mentioned, people discussed, as well as a complete transcript of the show are available there as well. And be sure to stick around after the show as this week, I'll cover two recent reviews from Blueprint listeners. Thanks to all of you who have just been showing the love out on iTunes. It's incredibly appreciated. And as always... Thanks for listening. And without further delay, my conversation with Ryan Mickler. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint podcast. I have my buddy Ryan Mickler from the Order of Man here with us today. Welcome, Ryan, to the show. Brad, what's going on, man? Glad to be joining after what are... It's been a couple of months, hasn't it? Time goes so quick. Who knows? It all blends together. You throw kids and business in the mix, and it's just a time warp from there It's on true. Out. Yeah, it's true. So yeah, it's fun because you're the, I think the only guy, well, I know for a fact, the only guy I've ever had on the podcast where I can say we met while learning to throw hatchets. This is true. Yeah. That makes it extremely, extremely unique, right? It's the best way to form a friendship though, (laughs) over throwing hatchets. As long as it's done safely, you're all good. It's a bond forever. That's right. Yeah. We were down in Austin, a cool resort, Travassa, for those of you listeners, if you want to check out a very manly resort, we were doing a dad's retreat with our mutual friend, John Vroman. So, uh, 
what better way to lead into a podcast with the founder of The Order of Men? Yeah, I think it makes perfect sense. And I can't say that I've done that with anybody else either. So this is perfect. Well, let's dig in because there's so many questions I want to ask you. You have just such an intriguing journey. What little I know about you, I've got such a high level of respect. You're a dad to four children. You're an Iraqi combat veteran. And you're a financial advisor, which is great because this shows for financial advisors. Makes sense. Yep. And then you're a podcaster. You basically started this incredible movement. And I want to dig into that. So as we kick off here today, just I got to get this out of the way because... If I'm a listener and I don't know who Ryan Mickler is, yeah. I'm going to be watching this on the show. I'm going to be like, what is up with that amazing dude? <laughs> That's shocking. And so rather than have everybody think it the whole way through, we might as well just get just it, address out it up front right yeah. now. And then we'll get to some really fun conversations. So how did the beard come about? Yeah. What's going on there? No, this is really interesting. Um, I always had the, uh, the sexy stubble. You know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, that yeah. sexy stubble. So I had that going on for a little while and it actually bothered my wife, irritated my wife. And so she said, you can either shave or you can grow your beard out. And I said, perfect. I'll grow my beard out. And that's what I did. I did that about two and a half years ago and I haven't looked back since. So I trim it up. You know, this is about a year's length right here, but I've been growing it for about two and a half years now. It was actually really a difficult decision because I was in my financial planning practice 100% of the time when I started growing it. And so I thought, oh, my clients are going to, they're not going to like this. They're going to leave. They're going to think I'm unprofessional. And you know, it's really fascinating. If anything, it's actually helped build a connection with my clients more than anything. It's really strange. And I'm just as busy as I've ever been, if not more so with a financial planning practice and referrals and everything else I get. It's kind of crazy. Huh. I actually bought a domain name, thebeardedadvisor.com. And I haven't used it and I probably never will, but I thought, man, I got to secure that and wrap that up. And so I did. You got to own it, man. You know what I love about that? There's a lesson there in financial services because you've been to these financial services conferences before. Sure. Everybody's in the suit, the tie. Yes. Clean shaven. Yes. You completely just broke that thing completely out of its mold and it's working right. for you. And it does. And you know, it just sets you apart. Obviously, you have to be professional and you have to care about your clients and you have to know your stuff and you have to have all that other stuff that we talk about. But if you can find a way to differentiate yourself in a positive way, man, it really sets yourself apart. And so the beard as crazy as it might seem actually works really well from a marketing perspective because it's very memorable. And uh, so it actually worked out in a way that I didn't think it would work out. What's the lesson in authenticity there? Did you have some clients just be like, dude, I'm glad you're yourself. I mean, what was the coolest comment that you got? That's the deal. I have one client in particular. In fact, they live a couple of blocks away from me. And what was really funny is she's flat out said, I do not like your beard, but I'm glad that you have it. And so every time she sees me, she just shakes her head. She's like, I don't like your beard. And I'm like, I don't care. And it's just really funny. This is the banter that we have, but the lesson in authenticity is confidence. And so this is me. You know, I like having the beard. I feel comfortable in the beard. It's just part of me, you know, literally and figuratively, I guess. And when you find your groove, whether that's your facial hair or the way that you dress or your mannerisms or whatever it may be, and you start to develop that groove, you build this level of confidence that's hard to articulate. When you have that level of confidence that exudes and clients recognize that, and although she may not like my beard, she knows that I'm confident with who I am. And that translates perfectly over into me giving her financial advice and the credibility that I have with her. So anytime you can do something that's going to build your confidence. And if I, I've got a friend of mine who is also a financial advisor, and he is a cowboy. I mean, he's a Southern Utah redneck cowboy. 
And so he wears jeans, he wears his Wranglers, he wears his belt buckle, he wears a cowboy hat, he's got his boots on, and he goes into all of his meetings like that because that's who he is. And I think in the financial industry, what I see more than anything else, probably any other industry, this could be financial advisor, attorney, CPA, is we're so like concerned about impressing people. And yes, we want to put our best foot forward, but we're so concerned about impressing people that we end up being very inauthentic and fake and phony in a way. And clients recognize that and see right through that. Mm -hmm. Well, give us a little bit of your journey because I've worked with financial advisors for a decade. I've never seen a journey like yours. It's a really incredible one. So yeah, you got into financial services and then let's go down the path of podcasting and the massive Facebook following that started to build and is probably growing at this minute. Can you just give us the high level version of that? So everybody kind of catch up to where you're at. Yeah, you bet. Uh, So I started in the financial industry about a decade ago, right in 2008 when the market was collapsing and I didn't know any better. And so I got into the industry. I was actually in retail before that. And I took, I went to Iraq, I served in the military and my wife and I decided we didn't want to get back into retail when I got back for some reasons that we can talk about in another conversation. But I came back from a leave and I had met with a financial advisor because we had saved a lot of money. I didn't have to pay any taxes. She was living with her mom and her dad while I was overseas. And so we saved a lot of money. I'm like, I don't know what to do with, <laughs> with this money. So we met with a financial advisor. Well, he was looking for two junior advisors at the time. So I actually took all of my study materials, my insurance and my investment exam requirements and licensing stuff back to Iraq with me. And in my downtime, I studied those for those tests came back, took the exams, and I've been doing that ever since. It was a blessing to be able to do that and have some downtime and and to be able to fall into it that way. And it ended up being a very good journey for me as far as building my confidence and understanding how money works and psychology, which has been huge for me with my journey now with Order of Man. Uh, I worked with a couple of different firms and then... I want to say roughly three years, four years ago, I started my own RIA. And, you know, I always felt out of place. I always felt awkward. I always felt like within the financial planning practice, there had to be more than this traditional model of meeting clients and developing and building relationships. And I've been listening to podcasts like this one and other ones. I've just been listening to these podcasts. I'm like, man, there's probably a way that I can use this to tap into my financial knowledge and share that with a broad audience. Mm-hmm. And so I started a podcast called Wealth Anatomy. And the goal with that podcast was to provide financial advice and services, not even services, just advice in general to healthcare professionals. Because I had been doing a lot of work with dentists and some dental schools across the nation. So I launched this podcast with the help of a mutual friend, Jeff Rose, who also him and I are on a very similar path. He helped me. I hired him. In fact, I was one of his very first paying clients, I think, from a consultant standpoint. He walked me through the process and I did about 20 episodes with Wealth Anatomy. And I really found that I had a... I just love this podcasting medium. I mean, it was so amazing that I can talk with these people that frankly, I didn't feel like I had any business talking with, but because I had this platform, it was exciting. But on the other side, and what I know a lot of guys and gals that are listening to this podcast right now would be interested in, is I remember I had a uh, pediatrician from... I want to say it was from Pennsylvania give me a call, random, just a random call. And he says, Hey, I need some disability insurance. I said, okay, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me what you're looking for. And he listed like, I need this, 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 and this. And he was like very articulate on what he wanted with his disability insurance. And I'm like, man, you, you know exactly what you want. You've obviously researched this. He's like, oh, and I haven't done any research. I'm like, how do you even know all these terms? Like you're talking about terms that it's like industry jargon and stuff like that. He's like, well, I listened to your podcast last week. And that particular podcast happened to be about disability insurance. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And before I'm like, nobody in their right mind, no medical professional, no intelligent, high income earning physician is going to call this guy, this bearded, weird dude who they don't even know and they've never met. Yeah. And yet here was this pediatrician calling to purchase disability insurance for me. And basically, and I know this is not always the case, but the reality of this situation is I just had to take an order and I was done. Like it was pretty incredible. And so it really opened my eyes to the possibilities of putting information out there and delivering it as widely as possible and letting those come to you who are interested to be able to come to you. So to shorten this up and tie this up, I've really realized they love the medium of podcasting. I just didn't want to talk just about financial advice. I wanted to broaden the perspective. And being a man is obviously something I'm interested in. I've got a young family. And at the time, my wife and I were married for 10 years or so. And so, you know, you get into that 10-year rut. I'm like, man, how do I be the best father? How do I be the best husband? How do I be good in the community? How do I be a better business owner? And so I really went to work with this new project, Order of Man, which is dedicated to helping men become better leaders in their families and their businesses, their communities, and just better well-rounded men altogether. So that's like a very shortened version of, of how this whole thing went down. It's crazy. What's cool about that is there's about three questions I want to ask you right now. All right, now. man. Fire away. Yeah, I should have paused and given you no, an, an opportunity. You're good, man. I want to get it out there. So... I think the first lesson is you saw something you were interested in that you knew absolutely nothing about Yeah, at the time, podcasting, and you hit up Jeff Rose. So I'm curious, number one, Jeff's a mutual friend, really good dude. Yeah. Also a financial advisor that's grown a massive platform. What was it that made you reach out to Jeff? Did you randomly Google him and find him? Did you have a mutual acquaintance? How did you guys cross paths? So marketing has always been something that's been on the forefront of my mind. At the end of the day, I think every financial advisor needs to learn how to be a great marketer. Because truth be told, we all have access to the same products. We all have access to the same platforms and strategies and systems. And some of us are fee-only and some are fee-based and some are commissioned. I mean, you name it, right? But we all have access to the same stuff. So at the end of the day, the financial advisor that learns how to market themselves the best is the one that wins. Market those services and package those services and the advice that they're sharing in the most effective way that the consumer resonates with the best. And so I had learned all about the products and the strategies and that was great. But now I'm like, okay, how do I get this stuff in front of people? And so I went to uh, FinCon, which is Financial Bloggers Conference. Have you been to that before? I haven't. Very Really? Yeah. You got to check it out because it's a great conference. I went out there. I met some great people. And in the process of going out there, I had been doing some research. And one of the sites that I came across was his site, Good Financial Sense. And I started following this guy who, yes, was a financial advisor, but he didn't look like a financial advisor. You know, that traditional financial advisor, the mold that a lot of us tend to fall into at times. He didn't speak like a financial advisor. And yet here he was putting himself out there and giving what I interpreted to be great advice for people. And so I followed him and followed him and followed him. Man, I want to do what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So I sent him a message or sent him a couple of emails and I think we corresponded back and forth. And this was the first time I had ever hired a coach or a consultant to help me with this stuff. And I think I was, his, like I said, his first client. And he said, he's like, yeah, you know, I get so many requests that have to charge you for it. I'm like, mm-hmm. that's fine. Whatever we need to do, let's make it work. And so I took a leap of faith with him and, and it ended up panning out very well. You know, that's what launched Wealth Anatomy and that's what 
morph now into order of men. So I think the lesson there to tie this all in together with what you were asking is, you know, find people that are doing it, find people that are doing it better than you and surround yourself with them. When I was starting in the financial planning practice, I really floundered. I struggled. I was making like 30 grand a year for a couple of years. And I was almost at this point where like, I'm going to throw in the towel. I can't feed my family. I can't make this work. And I don't know what to do. And before I did, I just looked up for a second and I saw that there was two or three advisors in my office who were killing it like consistently every single week, every single month, they were just killing it on numbers. And so I just reached out to them and I said, Hey, can I take you to lunch? And the answer with these guys was, yeah, of course I can take you to lunch. And I started asking them questions and figuring out how they did it. I brought them on my casework. I included them in with my clients. And that was the launch of when I really saw this, my financial planning practice start to take off rather than just flatline, which is where it was before. So ask for help. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people out there have great knowledge. Go out there and get it. You wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you weren't interested then anyways. Yeah. I mean, this is all advice that we've all heard. Jim Rohn, you are the average of the five yes. people you surround yourself with. Exactly. But I think what's cool about that, there was a humbleness from your side. You know, it was, I don't have the answer and I'm humble enough to reach out and ask someone, whether it's to lunch or whether it's hitting up Jeff Rose. Who you, yeah. I mean, you've just been following his blog and, hey, I have an interest in how this guy's marketing his business and what he's doing and and then cutting the check to actually make it happen. I guess yeah. Follow through was there as well. So a lot of lessons in that. Okay. Right before we went live here, I looked and this is going to spiral into a really fun conversation. Okay. Now you got me. Yeah. You peaked my, I'm getting getting you hyped up here, right? All right. So (laughs) 28,968 members in your closed Facebook group. As of this morning, just before we went live, your order of man, closed Facebook group. Yeah. And that's incredible. What's crazy about you as a financial advisor, to me, what I just find super intriguing is, yes, you're a financial advisor. It's kind of like, this is maybe a horrible analogy, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. I feel like you're Clark Kent during the day. I mean, <laughs> you're, you're Superman. You, you know, you like bust out of the cape and you're over here podcasting and running <laughs> massive following over here. That's um, so with that being said, I feel like financial services in general is so far behind from a technology standpoint whether it's doing a conversation like we're doing on Zoom right now, whether you know it's old school terrestrial radio that they're paying three, four, five grand a month for an hour a week, yeah. where you're producing a podcast right there out of your home, I would assume. Yeah, Re- I mean, I'm in my basement, guest room in my basement. So, so I'm giving you a really long lead up, but I, I want to just kind of really dive deep here because there are so many opportunities with how you started marketing. I mean, that story of having somebody halfway across the country, reach out to you randomly. You've never met before from a podcast. right? So if I'm a financial advisor and I'm sitting here and I have my old school traditional marketing, which is public seminars, terrestrial radio, maybe some client referral events. Can you maybe share some secrets to what you've uncovered from podcasting, which then led into close Facebook groups, which I now know you're working on some really cool live events you're, yeah. you're promoting as well. So can you walk us down the steps or the roadmap to maybe some keys there that financial advisors could maybe benefit from just from the path that you've taken? Yeah, you bet. So this is a good conversation. And this is where a lot of advisors, I think, might tune out or maybe even take offense to what I'm going to say but it's definitely going to challenge the traditional mold. And there might be even advisors who have been in the practice for 20, 30, 40 years who might be listening to this show. And what I'm about to tell them, they're going to say, no, 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 it can't be that way. It can't be that way. 
I'm here to tell you it is. And if these advisors who have been in the business for two, three, four decades don't learn how to adapt, they might as well just retire right now because they're done. And that's the reality of the situation. And the reality is, is that if we as advisors approach our work like robots, then we don't have anything to offer because I can go get any financial information I want on Google for free. And there's going to be a lot of advisors that'll say, well, it won't be good and it won't be this and it won't be that. That's outdated thinking. Guys, Like I can get every single bit of information that I could get from you that you charge, I can get for free. I promise you. And if you can't wrap your head around that, you're dead. Like you're dead in the water and your practice is going to stagnate. I mean, it's just the reality of it. And so we look, uh, I think a lot of financial advisors will look at technology as an evil thing. Like technology is the enemy. It's not the enemy. It's this awesome platform to connect you even deeper with your clients. And that sounds counterintuitive because you're thinking, how can technology, something that's not face-to-face, connect you with clients? Well, Brad, tell me where you live. Right in the heart of Kansas. Okay. So you're in Kansas. That's right. We talked about it. You're in Kansas. If we didn't have this medium, we wouldn't connect, right? I mean, we met through a live event, but that all came through digital technology that was used that connected us. So that's first and foremost. Um, The other side of this is for a young advisor who might be listening to this show right now, consider just for a second that you're learning from guys who have been in the business for 40 years. And everything that they're teaching you and everything that they're training you and everything that they're telling you to do and all the conversations that they're telling you and everything else is the same strategies that they used 40 years ago, 30 years ago, even 10 years ago, so different. And what I'm here to tell you is that if you learn from only those trainers, you're not going to learn this new way of marketing that younger and younger people and even retirees, baby boomers. I mean, you look at baby boomers and their activity level in Facebook, for example, is if I understand correctly, they're the highest growing demographic within Facebook. And you're telling me that these retirees aren't interested in technology? that statistic proves otherwise. So I think it's very important that we find these new mediums to be able to reach more and more people, especially since we can get this advice for free. The third component of this is don't be boring. (laughs) Like don't be boring. I mean, when you start getting into numbers and advisory fees and annuities and insurance and mutual funds and all of these things that we go through, people don't want to hear that. Like that's not engaging. That's not exciting. And as much as you might think it is as an advisor, you're wrong. It's not, it's not fun and it's not exciting. And people require and and to a degree demand some level of entertainment because otherwise there's no use having you around, which brings you to another component. Like you are a personality. So if you approach this, again, as a robot or very structured or very rigid in your process, again, I can get that anywhere. That's a dime a dozen. That's cheap. But what I can't get is I can't get a relationship. I can't get the personality. I can't get the individual attention. I can't get the level of engagement and trust through a computer that I can with you. So find a way to like really connect. One of the things that was really fascinating to me is as I started down this journey of new marketing with my advisory practice, is I started friending my clients on Facebook. And a lot of people told me, oh, no, 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 don't. Don't friend your clients like 
you don't mix business and personal, right? And so I'm like, well, let's try it. Like, what's the worst that can happen? And so I would see my clients going to their kids and their grandkids' games. I'd see the vacations that they were going on. I'd see the hobbies they were interested in. And so I could connect with them. And I started commenting on their posts like, hey, have a great time in Hawaii. Or, hey, how was your trip? What was the most exciting thing? How'd your son do in baseball? How'd your grandkid do at soccer last season or whatever? And it just created this connection that I think advisors and clients don't have because somebody told us that we need to put a wall up between us and the client. I don't want a wall. Like I want to be deeply connected with my clients and I want to know them above and beyond just their money situation. So, I mean, that's a lot. Like I can just rattle on and on and on why this is so important. But at the end of the day, like if we don't find new ways to connect and new ways to market, we're going to get slaughtered by the, you know, the robo advisors and everything else that we feel like is the enemy in the financial services industry. Yeah. You made me think when you were going into uh, the technology front there, we just had Darren Hardy speak at our event uh, Very cool. in January and really respect Darren. And he was talking on 21st century leadership. And his first piece of that was technology. And the fact that technology up to this point, if you really look at human civilization, 1700s, well, you had a hundred years of advance, right? Hundreds, a hundred years of advance. There was a study that showed this century due to technology, we'll have 20,000 years of advance in a hundred years. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yes. Just because crazy? Of exponential. And then of course it was, you know, silicon chips. A computer was a full room that cost $60 million. Now you've got a hundred times the power of that in an iPhone and just some craziness there. But what you made me think of is if you look at retail right now, it's just getting crushed. Right? Yes. All of your retail stores. So good move, by the way, to get out of retail. Yes. Years back, you were ahead of your time there. <laughs> but uh, you saw it coming, right? I don't know if that's the case, or I just didn't enjoy it as much as I once did. So, but Amazon has basically taken technology and made it easy for clients to consume whatever they need without going to a physical location for retail. Right. right. And what's interesting, which you I'd never thought of before, financial advisors are old school retail at this point. Because everything is this brick and mortar building and it's a very business transactional relationship. And a lot of what you were just speaking to is go where your clients want you to go. Right. They want you to be a real person. They want to have a real relationship with you. They want to be able to interact with you in an easy format to consume, not drive across town in horrible traffic to have to come to your office. Right. Right. So let's think about, I mean, from a business management standpoint, think about the overhead that comes with that type of practice as well. It's not bad. I think you just need to morph the two together. I told you I bought the beardedadvisor.com. I also bought cyborgadvisor.com. And my thought was like, you have this technology, which is great, but if it's only technology, it's missing a piece. And then you have this personal approach, which is great. But if it's missing the technology side, it's not being as efficient as possible. And so the mix is cyborg. So I bought that <laughs> I bought that site. Too. So I just go in and buy domains when I have these ideas. I haven't used either of them. I'm but. glad we both have this habit of just being one of GoDaddy's best customers. Exactly. Yep. Buy random websites. You'll probably never use never them use. in case, right? Yeah, that's right. I've got a perfect logo for that website. It's the Terminator 2, half Arnold Schwarzenegger face, half, you know, the metal. You could rip that off. and I'd have to put like a beard on Arnold Schwarzenegger's face though, if I were going to do that. I like it. Bearded Uh, cyborg advisor.com. You just gave me a new idea. (laughs) (laughs) So let's dig deep here. I'm just so intrigued by when I look at order of man and 
I've listened to the podcast. Let's speak to niching yourself first. So let's go there first, and then we'll just kind of go wherever the conversation goes. But order of man to me, really, you've got this tagline, protect, provide, preside. Yeah. And then when you really listen to your show, you have some amazing guests on. Jocko Wilnick, Extreme Ownership, former Navy SEAL. Ted Nugent's coming on next week. Ted Nugent. Yes, sir. (laughs) Ryan Holiday, one of my Yeah, Ryan Holiday. Grant Cardone. I mean, I've I've had some great guys come on the show. But when you listen to your show, it's really about how to be a better leader, how to better lead yourself, right? Self-improvement, discipline. And yet, you went order of man, right? Right. So right. if I'm a female, I can definitely benefit from your show. Of course. So I want to speak to niching though, because you said, I'm going to go here. I'm going to eliminate 50% of my potential audience. This, yeah. this could easily be a leadership podcast or you know, great advice from top thought leaders, authors, sure. all of sure. that. What made you decide I'm going to go heavy into this niche and I'm going to own it and I'm going to go hard in that direction? So I'll talk about order of man in a minute. Let me go back to the financial planning practice because there's a lesson there that I learned. And that lesson was as I got about five, six years into the business, I realized that working, I'm talking purely from a business management standpoint at this time. I realized that we want to connect with our clients. I get that. I understand that. Let's just talk about the business, like the practice management side of this thing. From a practice management standpoint, working with those that have high income and or high assets, lots of wealth are the most profitable people to work with. Like if I'm going to take an hour of my time, I want to work with somebody who has seven figures of income versus somebody who has maybe 50, 60, or even a hundred thousand of income, right? I mean, that's how it works. So I realized very quickly that the medical professionals were in that category, high income and high assets. And so those were the most profitable people to work with. And as I started to narrow my path and started to work more, even specifically with dentists, I realized that I was much more efficient in my practice, that I got the lingo down. That's big. That's really important. I actually started to talk like a dentist. And so I would have clients that would say, how do you know so much about dentistry? Like, did you go to schooling or anything like that? And the answer was, no, I just work with dentists. I know how you talk. I know how you communicate. And so I had somebody else say to me, Ryan, it's not really fair that you say you only work with medical professionals because the advice you're giving just applies to everybody. I said, yeah, that's true. But it's completely fair because it's the way that dentists in this particular case look at me and say, hey, this guy talks like us, he knows us, he knows our specific situation, and we trust him and we have that trust, that level of trust and credibility in him because he works with our colleagues, right? Even though I could go work with an attorney, for example, that makes just as much, if not more, has just as many assets, if not more, it's just having that niche is very, very powerful. Now, the downside of this from an outsider's perspective is, yes, you said it, you eliminate a percentage of your potential clients. That's a faulty premise. What you're assuming when you say that is that somehow they were your pool or your client to begin with. Mm. And they weren't, right? Like they're only your client when they become your client. And so if I can choose who I get to work with, there's 7.3 or so billion people on the planet. I don't need 7.3 billion clients. I need 300 clients, depending on, you know, their assets or the net worth or income or whatever it may be. And so when we go out there and we assume that we want to connect with everybody, we connect and resonate with nobody. It's the same thing when you ask for referrals. And I know a lot of people listening to this ask for referrals. I do too. If I say, Hey, is there anybody that you know that could use financial services? 
what's the answer to that? The answer is always, oh, I don't know, or I don't know anybody, or let me think. But if I said, hey, do you have a friend who's a dentist? Yeah, Bill down the street's a dentist. Hey, I work specifically with dentists. Do you mind making an introduction? Yeah, sure, I can do that. Now it gives me like laser focus. I'm hyper-focused on this. Uh, So now to translate this into order of man, yeah, it's leadership. And yeah, there's a lot of principles that apply across genders, but I can say something about leadership, for example, in a way that's very masculine and that speaks to men that might frankly turn women off. That's not my objective, but they may not hear it or they may not resonate with it, but that's okay. Because if I share it in that manner and that man really resonates with it, he's more likely to latch onto the idea and implement it. And he's more likely to share that idea as well with other men, not women, other men. So now you create this community, this, in our case, this brotherhood or fraternity of men who are speaking the same and talking the same and dealing with the same issues and approaching it from the same way. And psychology is all working similar, not always the same, but similar. It's just powerful when you find that niche and you start to specialize. We were talking here before we went live, and this speaks to the power of the internet and the power of your movement that you've created. I'm from Minneapolis, Kansas, which nobody even knows exists on this planet, (laughs) unless you're from Minneapolis, Kansas, a town of 2,000 people, right? Right. And I had, I think, 50 people in my graduating high school class. One of my buddies just had a crazy, good accomplishment, posts it in your private Facebook group and makes the comment, you know, my high school classmates wouldn't even believe I did this today. And I'm like, here I am literally reading it in your private Facebook group. And it speaks to the power of a really cool movement that you created and how it attracts the type of people that follow your thought process and your movement that you're creating. So, Well, and when you make it exciting and you make it different than what everybody else has already experienced, whether it's speaking to men about leadership and being well-rounded men or it's financial advice, and you do it in a way that's extremely unique, that's never been heard of or seen or experienced before that's when people start talking. I've heard a lot of people say, oh, our practice specializes in customer service. It's like, yeah, I mean, who wouldn't say that? Or we really care about our clients. Okay, is there a financial advisor who would say they don't care about their clients? Like, this isn't unique. You don't sound unique. You don't sound exciting. You don't sound different. You might think you do, And from your perspective, you might feel like you do, but from a client's and a consumer's perspective, you sound like everybody else and therefore you're not share worthy. That's Mm -hmm. the reality. Yeah. We speak a lot on the commoditization. We coach a lot of our clients on the commoditization of financial service. Like you said earlier, we all offer the same product. Right. And when you also offer the same service, we do risk and fee analysis. We do retirement income planning. We do you know the same stuff you hear over and over. Okay, cool. Well, I'll just go... My soda's my current guy, so I guess I'm good. And so we speak a lot, which you've done with Order of Man, to packaging your process, naming yes. your process, differentiating your process. And you did it with your podcast movement. You did it also with your financial services practice. Let's go back a little bit to financial services. Can I say one thing, Brad? Sorry to interrupt. Just before that, like you said something that just struck me, said retirement income planning. And with all due respect, it's like, like number one, what does that even mean? Number two, like that's like some prudential brochure that somebody would read in a doctor's office or something. Like, it's like, it's just not exciting. Like nobody's going to read that and say, yes, I really need retirement income planning. Like that's not how people talk. 
Instead, it's like, hey, let me make sure that you have an awesome retirement. Let me make sure that you are able to go on all the vacations that you want to go on. Let me make sure that your money doesn't run out before you die. Like that's how people really talk in conversations. So like, I think we need to be very cautious of using those terms. Yes, it does describe, and that's how the dictionary might describe it, but people aren't dictionaries. Like let's do it in a way that's exciting and engaging. Mm-hmm. Financial services has this disease of industry jargon. It does. It's so bad. And what's interesting is we see it on our side, the guys that crush it, that do extremely well, what they're masters of is taking complex terms and acronyms and breaking it down to real world conversation. We have one of our advisors, rather than talking about mutual fund fees, he talks about when he goes to the grocery store and he's shopping, do you always check the price before you put everything in the grocery cart? Well, that's what we help do is we'll scan your cart when you come Mm, in and make sure you're paying what you think you're paying, right? Right. And the guys that get it, that really break it down, and gals, I'm not eliminating them, they get it, that simplify the complex in our industry are the ones that end up doing really, really well. Right. And isn't this an ego thing too? Like our industry, I think is notorious for these, like think about an office, for example, and I might even call out somebody who's listening to this. They walk into your office and it's stuffy and it's got all the fancy, everything it needs. And they come sit at this desk that's further apart. And here's the big one. Your client's chair's are lower than your executive chair. Like if that doesn't describe that I'm above you or that I'm more important than you, better than anything, I don't know what else does. I mean, that's how horrible it is. But what if you just, here's what I did in my financial planning practice. This actually worked really good. I don't have an office anymore, but this worked really good. I created a living room in my office. And so I had my office where I did my work and then I had another office room and I literally recreated my own living room in my office. And I met clients when I was sitting on a couch and they were sitting on a couch. We had a coffee table. I had a TV up here. It looked like a living room. And the ability that we had to connect when we were hunched over the coffee table, like drawing and writing and knee to knee was awesome. It was powerful. Was that just a massive change in dynamic from when you were meeting across your Totally. Totally. I mean, just so much better connection. Like you said, dynamic. Uh, People really got more involved because they didn't feel like they were a kid at the principal's office in trouble, hunched down in their chair, like looking up to the principal. That's crazy. And that's arrogance. It's like, I have to prove to you that I'm, you know, adequate for your advice or it's, it's crazy to me. And I think in this day and age, it's actually very damaging. It's an old way of doing business and I don't want to be talked down to. I want to be conversed with how I want to have a conversation and a connection with people. Yeah. A lot of our advisors call it co-creating a plan together Mm. because that's really what a good financial advisor should help you do. Right. 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 It's their money. It's not yours. So you have to remember that. And even I like co-creating and even the term I've used a lot is coaching as well. And if you think about the role of a coach, the role of a coach is to extract, it's to draw out, right? And so you think of an advisor, an advisor is to put in, an advisor is to give advice, a coach is to extract. So we're not really helping people with financial advice because everybody knows financial advice. Like everybody knows the basics of how to save money. Everybody knows to buy low and sell high. Everybody knows all of these principles. There's nobody you're going to meet with that doesn't understand some basics of finances 101. But what they have a hard time with is understanding and interpreting their interpretations of it and also their emotions and how they respond to these little green pieces of paper that we call money. 
And so a coach isn't putting in, a coach is extracting so that a client at the end of the day can understand and really resonate with why they're doing something in the first place. Because here's what I've had happen in the past is I would go out and I would tell my clients, here's what you do, do X, Y, and Z. And then they would go tell their neighbor, Billy Bob or whoever, and their neighbor would say, oh, no, no, that's stupid. Don't do that. Do this. My financial advisor says this. It's like you're constantly combating or putting your clients in a position to have to defend what they're doing without knowing why they're doing it. But if I go into a presentation, I sit down with my clients and I explain a little bit about what we're doing and why we might be doing it, but then extract and draw out why they feel confident in doing this. When they go talk to their neighbor and say, oh yeah, we're doing this, this, and this. And their neighbor says, oh, that's dumb. Say, actually it's not because this is why we, we as the client, this is why we did this, not some guy who just told us what to do. That's great advice there. I mean, that's simple. I never thought about it that way, but you're right. An advisor puts in, a coach extracts. You made me think of a personal trainer. For sure. You know, if you think about it, everybody knows how to get in shape. Right. Take in less calories than you actually burn, right? Right. And then you should probably do some physical activity along the way to bump up the calories burned. Yeah. Get your heart rate going and lift heavy things. Right. But people still need personal trainers for the accountability aspect. Yes. And so to me, that's also what financial advisors are, is you're the accountability coach to make sure you show up at the gym and then kind of tracks your progress along the way and make sure you don't freak out the next time the market corrects and keep you on track. So Right. A good way that I heard it described was, and somebody said this, he said, and it's kind of cheesy, but it kind of makes sense. He says, I don't coach people with money problems. I coach on money with people problems. (laughs) And it's true because we get our own baggage and we think of, you know, we come into this relationship with our own set of values and perspectives and how we were raised and what we learned about money from people who were broke. And so these are people problems when it comes to this little green piece of paper that has really no intrinsic value in and of itself, except for what we place on it. And so it's us and our emotions and our baggage and our experiences and our culture and our background that get in the way and muddy the water sometimes. Yeah. I feel like every financial advisor would have been better served to be a psychology major. Oh, for sure. Or a marriage counselor, right? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. I'm not going to forgive myself if we don't get to this. So I want to go through kind of your methodology. So I'll set the stage and then you just take it from here. So let's look at your traditional financial advisor. Most of them, like you said, it comes down to marketing. And those that market well typically have a two to three pronged approach. They're doing public events, seminars. They're doing referral type of events, hosting fun events that their clients can come in and bring their friends to. And then the one that I think the highest in advisors that I see a lot doing are either radio or TV traditionally, right? Mm -hmm. And where I really want to dive deep here is radio. Because radio is just another format of a podcast. It is. But here's what I see. Here's what I see with radio. And then I want you to just unleash your thoughts on this because I know you'll have no problem with it. Here's how radio works in most financial services practices. I'm going to go out to the top station in my market. I'm probably going to have to pay two, three, five grand an hour if it's a really big station in a really mm-hmm. big market. I'm going to prep for my radio show probably an hour, hour and a half. What we've done for our clients is we actually co-host the shows. We help them with show notes. We produce. That's cool. So that yes. takes a lot of the work off the plate. But here's what actually happens. They deliver a great show, one hour. And then it's gone forever. They hope they get some calls and some appointments from that show. And then they do it again the next week. And then the next week. And then the next week. So with that being said, I just did an interview with a guy named Pete Matthew, Meaningful Money out of the UK. He's just crushing it. And I asked him, how many 
financial advisors do you know in the entire UK that have a podcast? He said one hand, I think it was four, maybe five. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan, it's the same in the US. There's like no finance. It's basically you and Jeff Rose are carrying the flag. Maybe a couple other guys. Not even me. I mean, I don't do a financial planning podcast. Yeah. So um, it's like Jeff Rose and that's it. Maybe a couple others. Yeah. So let's unpack first off, why is that? And then second off, where are these guys missing the boat? And what's the potential out there that they could be actually reaping from just, if nothing else, just taking a radio show they're already doing and repurposing it as a podcast? Yeah. So to answer your first question, why is that? It's fairly new. I mean, it really is. Podcasting has been around for 10 years, but it's just starting to hit mainstream. Like It's funny because if I go to the gas station, for example, and develop a relationship with somebody there, and I had this happen just a couple of weeks ago, she said, what is it that you do? And I'm like, I hate answering that question because it's really hard to explain. And so I'm like, I I help men be better leaders in their families, business and communities. I said something like that. Uh You know, the elevator pitch, right? Right. And so she's like, but like, how do you do that? And I'm like, so like she finally extracted from me that I do a podcast and she's like, what's a podcast? I'm like, what? What do you mean? What's a podcast? That's the truth. The reality is I was in uh, South Carolina on a vacation with my family. I said the same thing. And the gal's like, what's a podcast? I'm like, pull out your iPhone. She pulled her iPhone out. I'm like, see that little app right there? Yeah, I've always wondered what that is. Click on it and find me. And so she found, she subscribed to my show and everything else. But it's like just hitting mainstream. And that's why. Radio has been around for, I don't know, however long it's been around. Right. But podcasting is relatively new. But it's not that hard. Like It's very simple. There's some tutorials and I can even give them to you if you want. You can put them in the show notes. We can talk about that later. But there's some great tutorials on how to get a podcast started. The benefit of a podcast... Let me just give you some numbers here. The benefit of a podcast is your global reach. At the end of the day, that's exactly what it is. And the only people who are going to listen to your podcast are specifically seeking after your advice. Because if I jump on the radio and I'm listening to country, that's what I listen to. If I'm listening to country and a financial advisor commercial comes on, I may or may not be interested in that. That may not be something that's even in my wheelhouse or radar right now. But if I type in financial advice in the podcast search engine, I'm actively looking for financial advice. Mm -hmm. So you're already giving one barrier of entry and you're only communicating with people who are seriously and genuinely interested in what you have to say. Otherwise, they just wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So to give you a little perspective, our show, Order of Man, it's not financial advice, but Order of Man. And I know there's financial shows that are bigger than mine. Dave Ramsey, for example. My show, my little humble show I started two years ago, gets roughly 250,000 downloads per month. That means there's 250,000 people that are listening to what I have to say for roughly eight hours a month, maybe a little less, six to eight hours every single month. They are tuned into me. I am in their earbuds. They're listening to what I have to say and they're clinging and hanging on to every word. That's powerful. And it's nice because it's on demand, right? Like I can access it whenever I want. I can do it on a commute or I can do it in a workout or maybe I'm doing the dishes or maybe I'm mowing the lawn and I can access that anytime I want. But here's the power it's evergreen. You go on a radio show and you pay two, three, four, five grand, whatever it may be. You do it once, boop, done. And hopefully in that, however many times they might air it, or maybe it's even a live episode, hopefully you get a client or two versus putting a podcast out there. It's there forever. I mean, my podcasts that were there two years ago, I continue to market that stuff. So I market it and market it over and over and over again. You just listen to the Jocko Willing show. I did that show probably over a year ago now. It's probably close to or over a year ago. And yet you just listen to it. Stands the test of time too, my friend. Exactly. Exactly. So 
there really is a great ability to connect and be in people's earbuds and be in their brains and be at the top of their mind. They want that information. And on the iPhone, like what's really interesting about this, and this is relatively new, I think it came out last year, the podcast app on your iPhone, you can't even remove it. It just comes by default and it cannot be removed, which tells me that Apple is really staking a claim in the podcasting space. Otherwise, they wouldn't make that as a permanent feature of their offering on the iPhone. So I think we're just starting to see the uptrend of podcasting. And I think this is a great time to jump on board with this, especially where nobody's doing it. Yeah, there's a couple things there too. And I actually forgot one of my clients that actually does podcast, Jason out of Washington. Uh He picked up his first millionaire client out of Kentucky. That's what I'm saying. It's crazy. He's in Washington, right? He never met the guy. He's just tuning in, listening to his show. So the other thing that it does is that radio show, you've got a net over your market, right? So Mm -hmm. you're in Utah, in the middle of nowhere, Utah, right? So, So your radio stations wouldn't be great. But let's say you're in Salt Lake. If you had a radio show in Salt Lake, you'd reach Salt Lake and that's it. That's it. Yeah. podcast, you've got this distribution across the entire US and guess what it costs you? Essentially nothing. Yeah. Right? Well, it's Let's not just say. the US, it's, glo- it's yeah. globally. That's pretty amazing. You know, it's yeah. really funny. I'm thinking now that we're having this conversation, the way I even started this, you triggered this for me, is I actually, I created a CD. I'm like, how can I leverage myself? And that's the key. Like I only have 40 hours or so or whatever working hours. Maybe it's 60, maybe it's a hundred, whatever it is. You only have so many hours in the day. Like, how can I leverage myself and my time and the information that I have? And so I bought a bunch of blank CDs. I bought a microphone. This must have been three years ago. In fact, I still have the microphone. So I bought this thing for my financial planning practice. And I'm like, I'm going to record like a five to seven minute just overview of what it is that I do. And so I recorded this and I burned it onto CDs. I had a graphic designer make a CD cover for me and I stuck these things. So at night, me and my wife would stuff these blank CDs with the image in envelopes and I would give them to clients the very first time I met them, except for I'd give them two. Mm -hmm. So I'd give them one and then I'd give them another one and say, hey, if you find this valuable, will you just pass this one along to a neighbor or friend or colleague, whatever it may be. And that's when I really began to wrap my head around how powerful audio can be and how you can use it to leverage your time and give yourself more time in the day. Mm -hmm. So let's continue this path of podcasting because this really intrigues me. This is something that I'm trying to work on too. So you've got a podcast, you've built up this listenership, consistency, you're putting shows out every week. So that's really important, right? Great Great guests. But then what you've done, you've cracked this code of, and this is, I'm going to bring this full circle because financial advisors, it's great to put out a great radio show, but if nobody's calling in and setting appointments and actually wanting to come in and see you, well, guess what? You just have a really expensive, fun hobby, right? Right. right. And, and maybe not even that fun at times. And right, yeah. And it might just be <laughs> not really a fun hobby. So. <laughs> so with your podcast, I love the methodology because right at the front end, you say, Hey, if you're really liking this, Come join, and I, I forget your exact verbiage, but basically come join our close Facebook group, The Order of Man, if you want to continue the conversation or be a part of the movement or whatever. Can you speak to where that came from? Was it just an experiment? Were there other guys like Jeff Rose that coached you and had done this before? Because now what you've done, you've taken them from passively interacting with you to actively. And you're building some really cool live events, which to a financial advisor, that's no different than a live seminar, right? Bro, so, oh, yeah. Can you go through that? Because I think that's an incredible methodology a lot of people could benefit from. 
Yeah. So I think a lot of times we underestimate the power of community and specifically in the financial advice, like we isolate our clients, not deliberately, but it just happens. Like I have this client here and this client here and they don't know each other. I don't talk to them both unless we do some sort of a movie night or some sort of a seminar or something like that, which is relatively common. So I was thinking about with Order of Man, like how can I grow a community? And that's really when I started Order of Man, when I, even the title of it, Order of Man, Society, Brotherhood, Fraternity. I wanted to be a group of men where we could all come together and be stronger because we were communicating together and we were going through problems and solutions and we were learning from one another. I think it can hold very true within the financial community as well. Like what if you had, let's just say you had 300 clients, for example, or less from, it doesn't matter. And you have those 300 clients in a Facebook group. And all of those clients were communicating like, oh, I've got this problem. or Hey, who do you use for an accountant? I'm dealing with this tax issue or, hey, my investments are down. What's going on? And all of a sudden, you have people who are literally working for you, but not working for you, right? Like, And now they're communicating and they're talking back and forth what they like, what they don't like. You get to listen in. Okay, what do they want more of? What do they appreciate? What don't they appreciate? How can I get better through the feedback that I'm getting without even having to ask for feedback? Mm -hmm. The other cool thing that you do, for lack of a better term, is you create almost this vacuum or feeding frenzy of people who want your advice and services. So when I launched our Facebook group, I did it because I was listening to another podcast from a Facebook group specialist. He said, everybody should have a Facebook group. And I kind of him hot around a little bit. I didn't really introduce it immediately, but I thought about it more and more. I'm like, man, what could it hurt? I'm going to go ahead and give it a try. And I gave it a try. And you've seen it. I mean, it's taken off and there's so much great content. And it requires a little bit more work on this end because we've grown as fast as we have, but it's worth it. Now, here's what's really cool. I've never, outside of my Facebook community or my emails, paid to promote one of my live events. We just got done with one. We had 30 guys fly in from all over the nation and they paid a significant amount of money to be there. And they all came from our Facebook group. I just made these journals available. This is a daily planner that I use. And a lot of the guys were talking about what their daily and their morning rituals look like. Here I am sitting the sideline looking and listening for what these guys want. They said, I need some sort of like plan or something. So I created this one in the Facebook group alone. I have not promoted this on the podcast. I have not promoted this even really through the, I haven't promoted through emails. I haven't done any paid advertising for it. I've sold 600 of these. Wow. Through the group. Basically, I mean, if I were to look, I've probably made five posts over the past month or two about this journal. And yet we've sold 600. And every time I get more in, boom, they go through. I've got five more sitting right there. And I need to make a new order because it goes so quick. Same thing with hats. I've got a bunch of hats over there. This is my like office podcasting slash storage slash everything here in this room. But uh, so I've got it all in here. Anyways, you create this vacuum of people who believe in you, believe in the mission, believe in the cause, like your way of approaching whatever it is you're talking about in this case, manliness, but it could also apply to financial advice. And you're able to connect and communicate with these people. And think about this. I can get on the phone with my one of 300 clients and I could take a half an hour and go through some different things with them. Uh, hey, here's where your portfolio is. Here's what's going on in the market. But what if instead of doing that, 
I could just put out an email post or do a video, even better. A video is like, hey, in the market, here's what's going on. Here's how President Trump's election is going to affect your portfolio. And you take two to three minutes, boom, put it on Facebook. And now all 300 clients have that video and you didn't have to make 300 phone calls. I'm not saying you should avoid calling your clients. You certainly should. But this is how you leverage yourself and get more points of contact with clients and prospects. Yeah, what's intriguing to me, Ryan, is like if you just think about business in general, what's so challenging right now with such a fragmented attention span, mm-hmm. it, like email is dead to me. And what I mean by that is it's not all the way dead, but man, I mean, even people that like and trust me that are my clients, it's just so bogged down with minutia that if I want to have a very direct message and let's say it's, hey, here's an idea that will double your business next year. I could send that subject line out and it'd probably get 50% opens right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where Facebook, that's where the eyeballs are right now. If you see that little red circle in the top of your corner of your Facebook app, I've got an unchecked notification. Yep. Yes. What people clear those things. Exactly. And, and so you've gone where people want to communicate and want to interact. And my guess is if you post a video in your group, there's a very high level of interaction with that at this point. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, thousands of people are viewing those and seeing those. And if you do it in a way that's engaging, for example, current events, right? So you think about the election with President Trump, for example, that's a hot subject. Whether you voted for Trump or you voted for somebody else, that's a hot subject. And anybody wants to hear about that at any given time. So why not do a really short, succinct video with your opinion. You don't have to give it financial advice because there's some compliance issues with that. But how political elections have affected financial markets in the past. And so you could talk about some of this stuff and do it in an engaging way and consistency. Because I see some guys will do this and they do a really good job and they do it for like a month and they give up. I'm like, why did you stop doing that? Oh, I wasn't seeing results. Of course, that's like saying, I'm going to go into the gym after sitting on the couch for 10 years and expect results in seven days. Like, of course, right. you didn't see results. You're building the foundation. Keep going. Keep doing it. It will work, but you have to be consistent. So can you walk through this high level and simplify this as much as possible? Here's how I transition people from podcast listeners or for financial advisors that have a radio show because you could just as easily do this on a radio show. Yeah. Here were the steps I took to siphon my audience from listening to going to Facebook, actually knowing how to join my group. What was your steps there? To get yeah. Started? Okay. That's a good question. So our largest reach is through the podcast. So you said it right. So let's say somebody's listening to the podcast for the very first time, then they're going to hear that message twice in the podcast that says, join our Facebook group of over 29,000 guys having conversations about blah, 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 blah. So they'll join the Facebook group. They have to request access. At this point, we get about 125 to 160 or 70. So, so real quick, because we're breaking this all the way down. Are you saying go out to Facebook and search for order of man? No, no, no. I give them the link. So okay. go to facebook.com slash groups slash order of man. That's the link. And then they join that. So like I said, we've had about 125 to 160 new members of that group per day now at this point. So I mean, it's really starting to take off. From there, they're going to get an intro video from me. So I pin an intro video at the top. Here's what this group's all about. Here's what we do. Here's what we don't do. If you want more, you may want to consider joining our exclusive mastermind. That mastermind is a paid mastermind. Mm. So it's more exclusive. It's a lot more involvement from me. There's worksheets and there's other things that we go through and they pay on a monthly basis. And so that's where most of the revenue comes from order man at this point through that mastermind group. Uh, If I were doing it as a financial advisor, 
what I would do first and foremost is I would have that intro video and I would encourage people to join my email list. Now, I know you said email is dead, but I still think there's value to it. And I, and I know you do too. You just yeah. said it's, it's dying, right? It's Some, very noisy would be a it, it is. It's, it's crowded for sure. Yeah. So I, if it were me, what I would do is I would put together a quick resource like, and I'm just throwing stuff out here, like a 10-point checklist to make sure your portfolio is in order or 10 questions every single person on this planet should ask their financial advisor or how to know if you're getting screwed over in your fees in your portfolio. Something catchy, something clever, but something pertinent and valuable. Mm -hmm. So I would do that. And then... From there, now you can start emailing them with certain courses that you have, certain information that you have. One of the things that I actually did that worked really, really well is I put this four-part course and I took it down because I don't at this point do as much in the financial planning services. And because I wasn't updating it, there was some compliance issues that I was concerned with. So I took the course down. But it was essentially when people signed up for it, they'd get one video from me and it was a video of me explaining a topic. And I can't even remember the topic at this point. Three days later, another email in their inbox with a new video. Three days later, another email with another video. And then the fourth video is like, Hey, here's my calendar. Go set up an appointment with me. So now we're walking these people from, I just met you. I just heard you to now you're in front of me every three days. I like what you have to say. There's some real problems that I'm dealing with in my portfolio, for example. And okay, now you're setting me up. So that fourth one is like, okay, now I'm going to actually schedule something with Ryan. And maybe that's a half an hour quick phone call to even see if we're a fit. That's the flow that I would personally use. Cool. Okay. So a thought here. And it actually, I think it'll replicate what you've done with order of man. So I think about, okay, financial advisor has a radio show. Any random person uh, in their market could be listening to that. Mm -hmm. So would you set up a closed Facebook group for the public non-clients, I guess would be a better way to put it. And then would you basically have another group that's just for clients where you offer more value, more interaction? What would that look like? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would do. So I'd probably have, if I were doing a radio show, my call to action would be, because no, look, here's the deal. Like you got to be real with yourself. Nobody's going to hire you after hearing you on the radio one time. Yeah. They're going to need to hear over and over again. And then they're probably going to need to hear your name from a friend and like, oh, is that guy I heard on the radio? Yeah, that's the guy. Okay, maybe I should call him. So there's a lot of play here. Mm -hmm. So if you're real with yourself, the reality would say, okay, since they're not going to hire me on the first thing, what would somebody do the very first time that they heard me? And if they liked me, one thing they would probably do is a very non-threatening approach, which is to go to, hey, if you guys go to abcfinancial.com, you're going to find a resource that actually is a checklist on everything I just addressed in this show. That's what I would do first and foremost. The reason you want to do that is because you're going to capture more people that way because you're not asking them to call and schedule an appointment. Nobody's going to call and schedule. So they go download this resource and you collect their email address. Now, when they download the resource, you can set up what's called an autoresponder. I don't want to get like too in depth into this because right. we go down a rabbit hole, but an autoresponder is essentially an auto-triggered email. When they sign up for your list, they get a default email from you, automated email. That email would say, hey, thanks for downloading XYZ. Here is your next step. Step number one, join our closed Facebook community where I give more information, more insight, 
more value above and beyond what you got in this resource and above and beyond what you heard in the radio show. Now, when they go into the Facebook group, I would have an intro video that would say, hey, thanks for joining our Facebook community. Here's what we do. Ask questions about financial stuff. If you have ideas or thoughts, please feel free to post those. I'm very active in here and you have to be active in a Facebook group. I'm very active in here. I'll be sure to engage with what you have to say. In the meantime, if you are interested in scheduling an appointment with me for 30 minutes over the phone, here's a link to my calendar. Mm -hmm. Then I would do a daily video inside of that Facebook group. There's probably people like, oh my gosh, like this is so much stuff right now. I'm just telling you, like marketing is the name of the game. I would do a daily video and that daily video would be on a topic that you actually charge for, but you're going to give some of that information away for free. So for example, if I have these journals available, the daily video I would do is how to set up the perfect morning. And I would walk through the perfect morning with the guys that are listening in the Facebook group to that video. And I'd say, Hey, look, if you want to do this on your own, cool. Get out a piece of paper each and every morning, write down what I just told you and get after it. Or if you're interested in more, just go to orderman.com slash whatever and buy this 35 bucks. You'll have everything. There's one in here for each day of the week. Done, done. It's all taken care of for you. And that is how I sell these, but also provide value at the same time. This is a way for you to connect and resonate with your clients or your potential clients before they even hire you and decide if they like you, like they have to like you first. Yeah. And they may not, and you may not like them (laughs) too. So, Okay. So we were chatting out in Austin and one of the things you said early on, which I love how real you are. You're not like, Oh yeah, this thing just took off. You're like, no, honestly, when I first started my private Facebook group or my closed Facebook group, I was the only one posting the questions and there were crickets chirping. Oh, basically. for sure. Yeah. So what did, did you do a video a day and then a couple of questions? What was your framework there? Because now I've been in there. I mean, you have a thriving community that's interacting yeah. with each other and then you're just chiming in from the sidelines. Right. So how did you prime the pump? I guess would be my best question. That's a good, yeah. Because there's even people in the group at this point who I'll say, hey, I've got 30 minutes. Just ask me any question you have. And there's guys who are like, who are you? I'm like, what do you mean? Who am? I founded this group. And they don't know because they come in through these other sources. Anyways, the way that I prime the pump, number one, consistency. And so I committed to making three posts in my Facebook group per day. And I know that sounds tedious. I know that sounds overwhelming. But if I had my phone, I would show you. On my phone, I have a notepad on my phone and it's called group posts. And so if I'm driving down the highway and I see a billboard and it triggers a thought that I might want to have a conversation on, I'll just jot that down there in those notes really quick. And I've literally got in that group post notebook at this point, hundreds and hundreds of conversations or topics that I can discuss. So if it's noon and I'm like, man, I need to make a post and order a man, I just pull that out. Oh, that's a good one. And then I can make the post accordingly. Or I'll do a Facebook Live. Facebook Live right now is really, really big. As opposed to doing video, recorded video, do live video. That's significantly greater engagement. Because Facebook wants people to be involved with Facebook Live. So they promote it in the feed more heavily. So that's just a quick tip. So yeah, the other side is ask questions. But not what I refer to as dumb questions. And believe it or not, there are dumb questions. Like a dumb question would be, who here wants to get a better rate of return on their money? No shit. Like, so obviously, like, that's a dumb question. Everybody wants to get a better rate of return on their investment. So that's not a great question. A better question would be, 
how much do you pay for financial advice? Now it's specific, it's measurable, and people can respond to that type of question. Or what rate of return did you get on your portfolio last year? Now you have somebody that says, well, I got a 4%. And the next person says, well, I got 8%. Now the four person's like, well, how do I get 8%? That's an opportunity for you to chime in and say, hey, there's a couple of different ways that might be happening within your portfolio that you probably ought to have somebody look at, mm-hmm. right? So you're asking questions and then you encourage other people to ask questions to get involved. And the best way to do that is to let them know and then engage with them. It's really interesting. And this is going to sound funny, but I've got a young puppy and I don't want to liken training clients to training a dog. I don't mean that at all, but it's a great analogy. I've got a young puppy here and even my children. It's about positive reinforcement. Mm. So when your client or prospect or member of your Facebook community does something that you want them to do, you need to reward them. And in Facebook, rewarding people is done through engagement. So when you see somebody post something about like, hey, I'm going to Hawaii this weekend. Well, we know they want attention, right? And so some people might look and say, oh, that's dumb. Like they're just trying to get attention. Or you can think, well, my client here, a prospect is interested in attention and I can give him attention. So why don't I just do that and say, have a great trip, check out this attraction that I went to last year when I was in Hawaii. You know what I mean? And so you want to encourage positive behavior and positive behavior in a Facebook community is them sharing their own stories, feedback, and questions. Got it. Does that help? That helps a ton. Okay, cool. And I also want to say something here because I know sometimes when financial advisors hear, oh, you have to post a video a day. Don't think like I've got to edit a video with my name tag across the bottom. This is like super raw. Like you're picking up your iPhone, live streaming from there. And that's what I think is the power of it is the authenticity is here's me. I mean, I think you've done them from your car before. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I've got this little stand right here and I'll just literally set it right here on my desk hit record. And sometimes like when I very first started, I would take bullet point notes. I don't even do that anymore because I'd rather it be more relevant. I'd rather it be more real. And the more scripted and dialogued and let me make sure my backdrop is just perfect and put the makeup on and the light, the less people are going to resonate with it because it starts to sound like a commercial rather than, Hey, let's be friends and have a conversation here. Like two buddies would over a beer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's something else. And I I try to always, what, you know, if I'm a financial advisor listening, what am I thinking? Here's something that's going on through a lot of heads right now. Sure. That sounds really good. And Ryan's, you know, charismatic and I'm sure he entertains them and all of that. But what happens when that troll pops up on the Facebook group? And I think I know how you address this, but I'm just going to let you go with it because I'm sure that's happened where somebody that's not actually a great fit for your audience and starts just disrespecting people or not really respecting what you built. How do you address that? So I think you've got it. Okay. So I'm going to give you my perspective and then a financial perspective. Perfect. So from my perspective with order of man, I think you need to first and foremost distinguish if this is really a troll or if they just don't agree with your viewpoint. Mm -hmm. Because I don't want to be so quick to pull the trigger and say you're a troll versus hey, maybe this guy just sees it differently than I do. And maybe we can have an intelligent discussion about this. And I think there's value in that. I think there's too many people who are like, oh, you don't agree with me? Gone. It's like, wait a second. Like, let's discuss this and maybe you're right. Like, I want to know where you're coming from. And maybe you're not. Maybe I am. And I want you to know where I'm coming from. But let's have an intelligent discussion. With that distinction made, if somebody genuinely is a troll, like we had one last night in the group, he used some foul language with me. And he's like, 
you know, you're an idiot, blah, 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 block, delete, done. Like my space is not a democracy. My planning practice is not a democracy. Order of man is not a democracy. My financial situation outside of me and my wife is not a democracy. It's my space and I'll decide what I want to do with it. Yeah. So let's take that to financial services because I think there's one thing, if it's a what I would call a prospect group, mm-hmm. right? which is this is open to the public, apply, it's a closed group and you can get in and you may not be my client. And I do love how you set the ground rules with the video that you pin because you kind of yes. say, hey, here's what we're about. Here's what we're not about. And so you set some very clear guidelines. And a lot of that is respecting the other people in the group. Of course. So you've got that. To me, if I'm a financial advisor, somebody starts just being a moron in there and disrespecting everybody, not a big deal just to boot them out. Let's say, however, now we've got a client group, a private Facebook group that's just my clients. Now we get into a situation where it's like, oh, well, you know, maybe somebody is not being very kind, but how do you just... Does that mean you fire the client and move on? I guess I'd love to hear your feedback there because I don't know how I'd address that. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's definitely difficult, especially if they have millions of dollars invested with you. (laughs) Yeah. Because sometimes we tolerate behavior that we wouldn't normally tolerate because we have a vested interest in tolerating that behavior. Mm -hmm. And is that something that we should do? You have to question yourself and decide where that line is. There's Mm -hmm. some things that I wouldn't tolerate for any amount of money. But what are those things? Everybody has to decide for themselves. What I would do if it were me is I would be very, very clear up front. Here's what we do. Here's what we don't do. If you're disrespectful to anybody in the group, we don't tolerate that. We will block you from the group. You and I can still have a relationship if that's the case, but we will not tolerate this behavior. And if you set that expectation up front and you're very clear about it, and you also share the ramifications of breaking those boundaries that you've created... I find it difficult that any reasonable person that you would decide to engage with in a client relationship would have a hard time understanding. And that's the thing. Like These are your clients. I don't think that you should bring on a client that you don't get along with or you don't like. And I know there's advisors listening to this right now who have, but why would you want to do that? I don't understand. I've had people that I flat out said to them, I'm sorry, we can't work together. And they've been upset about that. Well, like, why? So-and-so works with you. Why can't we work together? I don't think we're a great fit. I think your personality and my personality just don't work together. I think your belief is so far from my belief about how money works that this would not be uh, enjoyable engagement for either one of us. So I choose at this point not to have this relationship. Like how powerful of a position to be in. And then it's the same thing. If I had a client inside of a group who started displaying behavior that we didn't approve of and that were the boundaries, I would call that client up on the phone. Hey, Brad, look, you made some comments in the group today that were a little concerning to me because we have this agreement that this is how we behave. And yet here you are attacking this individual. I really like our relationship and I want to continue to work with you. But in order to do that, you need to respect me and you need to respect my other clients. This is how we make this community a thriving community like it is. Can we have that agreement? Oh yeah, Ryan, I'm sorry. You know, I was having a bad day. My wife and I got in an argument and I made a comment cool. Would you mind going in there and just maybe deleting that or reframing that comment? Like that's what clients want from you. They want a leader. And yet here we are, we're like, Oh, Brad said something I don't like. Like, what if I offend him? What if, what if you don't say anything and you're a spineless coward and you let your clients railroad you because they happen to invest a couple of bucks with you? That's not what they're looking for. And they're going to leave you the first opportunity they get anyways. I was wondering when the real Ryan was going to come out. It finally (laughs) happened, man. (laughs) 
No, and that's why I, I, I had to get you. warmed up, right? That's what I love about you, man. You're real. So <laughs> here's what I heard you say, just to summarize that. Number one, if you set the rules and guidelines up front and are very clear about them, a lot of it's self-policing. Yes. However, if you get someone that kind of breaks the rules and guidelines, if they were your client, call them up personally, say, dude, I love you as a client. We've got a community here. We're trying to all get this common goal of you know amazing retirement. And uh, this comment was a little out of line. Can you go in and delete or, or self-correct it and then move on? And then second or third offense, I got to remove you. And that would be done with a personal phone call as well. Yes. Like I said before, I can't imagine myself, and I can't speak for everybody. I can't imagine engaging with a relationship upfront, like actually signing contracts in, in an advisory type capacity with somebody who would make a comment over and over again yeah. that would force me to remove them from a group. Like yeah. I would already know that this person's probably an asshole before I invited them in the group and they showed themselves to be that way. Yeah. Right? Like there's red flags that you would mm-hmm. recognize. And so you be careful. Don't overlook those red flags because you see the dollar signs. I think what's interesting is social media creates this veil. And in Facebook, it's your real profile typically. So people know who you are, but I think there's this veil when you're looking at a screen that you're not actually what you're typing as a, like people don't conduct Facebook conversations like they would a face-to-face conversation. And that's what's crazy to me. But the more I think about it, if you've kind of set up the room, I view it as you've kind of set up a permanent client social event where you've allowed them to interact virtually in a room. I think 99.9% of clients are going to respect that and absolutely and, and thrive because of it. You know, it's yeah. actually going to deepen the relationship. So. And as the leader of the community, what I have to do in my group occasionally is go in there and say, Hey guys, quick reminder, here's some ground rules. Like we do this, 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 and this, we have respect for each other. I'm going to block you. I'm going to delete you. If you can't have respect for one another, or you come with these off the wall comments that don't have any basis in reality. And they're offensive to everybody just for the sake of being offensive. Those are just grounds for removal. And when I post stuff like that, it's really fascinating. The engagement on those posts is significantly higher than other posts. And what that tells me is that the people in the community want somebody who's leading and showing how this group is to be run. And so if you're a jerk, the people in your group are going to be jerks. Mm-hmm. If you're civil and you can have conversations that maybe you don't even agree with, but you can have a respectful conversation and you can do it, other people will applaud you and follow that behavior. How often do you find yourself having to remind, here's the guidelines? Do you think it needs to be done or do you consistently have it? No, I do it when I notice a trend of behavior that I don't think is conducive to the type of environment we're trying to create. If one person does it, it's an isolated event. I reach out to them. Hey guy, like, come on, let's have some respect for each other. Really simple. And that's one thing I have an advantage of with being a men's group. We can do that like guys, like we can check each other, right? Because that's what guys do. But if I notice a trend going and going and going, or if I notice a couple instigators, there's always a couple of instigators, delete block, you're out of here. You're instigating this and you're creating this environment that I'm not interested in having. Cool. One last final question on that. So in the financial advisor space, let's say it's that private group that is of clients only someone moves assets, are you now saying that's one of the ground rules to be in this group? You have to be a member of our financial services firm. So we'll move you back to the public group. How would you handle that? I would do that because at that point, this in your closed group for your clients is an additional offering for them working with you, Yeah, right? It's part of your services that you're offering. And so maybe you include a daily Facebook live, maybe you include a market analysis every week, 
you include some specific details in there that isn't privy to the public. And because you're giving that to your clients, somebody who's not engaged with you in a client advisor relationship no longer gets access to. In a way, it'd almost be like saying, hey, I'm not going to pay my advisory fees, but will you still manage my money? (laughs) No. Well, I'm not going to pay your advisory fees, but can you still advise me in your Facebook group? No. I would just consider it part of your offering. I think we just accidentally may have uncovered something that every financial advisor should be doing if you look out the next 10, 20, 30 years. Because I don't, do you know of any financial advisor that has a private Facebook group? No, I don't know of any. Well, it's all started here. When we look back on this podcast, we know who came up with it, Ryan. Yes. And if somebody does it, like I'd love to hear about it because I think it could be, and I've told my friends, I've got a couple of advisors that I'm really close with, colleagues that we actually got into the business at the same time. And just because I'm so involved with this other side of things, I don't do much in the financial planning practice anymore, just to be fair and put that out there. And I tell these guys, I'm like, do this. Oh, look, if you use this, nobody's doing this as a financial advisor. Do this. And they're like, and they keep doing the same thing. I'm like, yeah, fine. You're missing the boat. And I've put so much information out there and very few people take advantage of it. Like if somebody did the same things that I'm doing with order man in their financial planning practice, and I've had people tell me like, well, you do it. I'm not interested in doing it. I'm giving it to you. Go out, make it work. Yeah. But, uh, very few people adopt that advice. I kind of stumbled accidentally into this podcasting thing and going on about 18 months now. And it's completely, ch- I mean, my circle now Cameron Harold, you know, your network is your net worth. I'll never forget that comment. Yeah. And I feel like my network has expanded exponentially in the last 18 months just due to podcasting. Absolutely. We wouldn't be having this conversation. No way. No way. We wouldn't have been introduced. And obviously we wouldn't be having my podcast if I didn't have one. So. Absolutely. Cool, man. Are we good to end on a couple of philosophical questions, Ryan? I'm ready, man. Yeah, I've got a little time. So I'm ready. How are we going to do this? I know I'll you're trying to be on. the real Ryan for you. Okay, cool. Okay. So I'm going to ask my one that I want to, this is, I've only asked this once, maybe twice, but I have to ask you this question because this this is a Ryan Mickler type of question. Okay. What is something that you would like to see as absurd 25 years from now? Oh, like be obsolete. Is that what you're asking? Kind of like uh, smoking cigarettes is now like, wow, people didn't realize that that caused cancer back in the fifties and sixties. Like, okay. Yeah. The idea of this is absurd. Right, 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 right. Uh, I would probably say in the financial advisor specifically, I would say that these pay type lunches where people pay for their plate of dinner and you give them free advice. I think that's absurd now, let alone in the next 25 to 30 years. Why is that for you? And the reason I ask you that is because there's a lot of people listening to this that probably market that way. Oh, absolutely. Because I'm not going to bribe somebody to do business with me. Like I'm going to put good information out there and I'm going to do it in a meaningful way and I'm going to provide value and I'm going to be awesome. And you're either going to like it or you're not. And if you don't hit the road and if you do, let's do this, but I'm not going to bribe you with a $25 dinner to come do dinner with me or business with me. That's not the client I'm looking for. Got it. So here's what I'm thinking as I kind of think through that. It's not necessarily I'm not going to do live events because no. I'm just, I'm just going to do live events Tony Robbins style where exactly. I, I put out this information that attracts people where they might even buy a ticket to come see me speak. And then if they want to become a client from there, cool. Absolutely. Like I think, yeah, absolutely. But that requires you to be valuable. Mm-hmm. See, anybody can pay for, like, I can pay a couple grand and have people have dinner. Like, that's easy because it's just a couple of grand and get that money back. What I can't 
pay for is I can't pay for the value that I articulate and give to other people. And so it requires a lot more effort to do that and consistency. And it's much more valuable. You're going to have many more clients that way. And you're going to engage in the type of relationships that are actually valuable and uplifting even to you rather than, oh, I just came because I wanted some steak. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That sounds crazy to me. You made me think of a quote I just heard yesterday. It's, uh, if you win a million bucks, now it's time to learn how to become a millionaire. Yeah. Right. It's Jim Rohn quote. And I think as a financial advisor, just becoming a financial advisor does not necessarily mean you're a financial advisor. It's time to go become one now and create that value that attracts. Oh, that's what you did with dentists, right? Absolutely. You knew absolutely nothing about the dentistry field, I would assume, until you started targeting that market and really digging in and becoming an expert in what they needed. Right. Right. The other thing I would do away with, again, specifically in the financial services is commission-based type selling, especially when it comes to mutual funds and those sort of things. Mm -hmm. There's just this huge conflict of interest that I think does not put you on the same side of the table as a client. Well, the DOL is helping that front for sure. That's true. That is true. So let's go non-financial advisory. Let's just go life in general. Just life in general. What would Ryan Mickler like to see as absurd 25 years from now? (laughs) This one's kind of funny. Bulletproof coffee. (laughs) And I know that sounds funny, but let me tell you why. And this will apply to everything, okay? It's gaming the system. Like stop gaming the system. You know how to get in shape. And for you to say bulletproof coffee is healthy is ridiculous. If you want to drink coffee, just drink coffee. You don't need to doll it up and tell everybody it's healthy by putting butter and MCT oil in it. But we do this. And so this is what makes it absurd. It's common sense. Like, you know how to save money. You know how to lose weight. You know how to connect with your wife or your husband. You know that stuff. And yet here we are trying to game the system with bulletproof coffee and tell everybody how healthy we are. When in all reality, we probably just ought to stop drinking the soda and the chocolate cake. (laughs) Does that make sense? That's perfect, man. Jeez, man. I, that, <laughs> I love that one. Oh, I, I got to have my bulletproof coffee. Do you do bulletproof coffee? I've had it before, yeah. Okay. I'm like, well, maybe I got to check you know and see. I, you know what I think it is? <laughs> I think Here's what I think it is with marketing too. It's not just gaming the system. It's here's this unheard of thing, this underground thing that you don't know about. And everybody wants to know about it now. Right. Right. So I think that's the other thing that drove bulletproof coffee. Oh, for sure. Like we don't need, you just need to be valuable, not pretend to be valuable. Be valuable. All right. When you hear the word successful, who's the first person you think of and why? Man, these are good questions. I'm going to go with me on that one. Like, honestly, I know that sounds really weird and maybe even arrogant, but I've come to the stage in my life of complete autonomy. And that to me is powerful because I don't know. I mean, a lot of guys might say like, Mark Cuban or Elon Musk or somebody like that who definitely fall on that scale. But I don't know. I don't know how much autonomy they have in their life. Like, are they beholden? Are they slaves to their work? Are they slaves to what it is they're doing? Are they slaves to their clients? Like, I think anybody who's genuinely successful has autonomy, which means they can do whatever they want, when they want, how they want to do it, because that's what they want to do. And they have that freedom to be able to do that. So it's hard for me to define and say, well, Brad, you're successful. I don't know if you are like only you can define that Elon Musk. He's successful. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. I don't know. He defines that, not me. And so I think each and every one of us define what success is for ourselves. That is a very stoic answer, my friend. Well, you I know, like that. every once in a while I can pull one out of there. At the event in Austin, you said something that I loved as a dad. 
So I'm just going to throw it out there. You said you wanted to render yourself obsolete as yeah. a cat. Yeah, it goes back to your kids, making sure that that same principles instilled in them as well. Is there anything as a dad you want to throw out that's helped on that front? To to be able to render myself obsolete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the best thing that you can do for your kids is get out of their way. Like so many times, we as parents want to lead, which is good and valuable. There's times where you need to, and you need to be out front. You need to be example. You need to show that stuff. But at the end of the day, like I think we give our kids less credit than they deserve. And what I think we should do at some point in our life and multiple times throughout our engagement with our children is to follow them and allow them to lead. I'll give you a small example. When my son and I, my oldest son and I go on a hike, I'll let him lead. Son, take the lead. Where are we going? And he'll come to a fork and road. Dad, which way should I go? I'm like, I don't know, dude. You're leading. I'm following you. I can't decide. And he's like, all right, let's go left. And we go left and it ends up being a dud or a dead end or something. He's like, oh man, I made a bad decision. I'm like, no, you didn't. Like that wasn't a bad decision. Now we know this is a dead end. What do we need to do? Let's turn around and go the other way. Cool. Let's do that. I'll follow you. And if we can find examples of that and stop doing every dang thing for our children and letting them flounder and flail and flap around a little bit in a controlled environment, that gives them the ability to do that when it actually matters. Mm-hmm. So I think just get out of your kids' way sometimes. It's good advice. Hopefully. We'll see how it pans out. <laughs> yeah. You'll know in a few years. <laughs> That's right. My oldest is nine, so we'll see. All right. What's the favorite book you've ever read and why? As a Man Thinketh. Hands down, man. That book is so incredible. And it seems like maybe eight or nine years ago, there was the big thing, the secret, right? You know, mm-hmm. like think it and it will be. And so I think it got a lot of good press, but it also got a lot of bad rap for, oh, that's not all there is to it. And I think inherently we know that's not all there is to it. It's just the first step. Yeah. And what I found is the more that I can get my mind right, and the more that I can start thinking positively and thinking intelligent thoughts and really debating and pondering the information I come across that is what manifests itself physically, whether it's a financial planning practice or order a man or the way that I approach my duties and responsibilities as a father or a husband, as a man thinketh. One of the greatest books written of all time. Very cool. Well, I have to throw this one out because I'm reading it now and it made me think of this podcast today. I'm like, this is a Ryan Mickler book. This is like an order of man type of book. I'm interested. You guys have full grown beards. Have you read the book Endurance? Shackleton's Incredible Voyage. Man, that is a great book. I actually read that book right before I did the Agogi 60, which is a Uh 60-hour endurance event that Spartan Race puts on. And that is such an awesome book. Was that purposefully read? Like, I can do this if these guys did that? Oh, I drew on that book and some of those experiences. Are you in the middle of it right now? I am. They're they're just hitting land for the first time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I won't talk much about it, but I drew so much from the experiences and the trials and the challenges they went through. And as I was walking in the middle of the night and literally hallucinating, thinking I saw people beside me and almost had conversations with them. I was like, all right, I'm in pain. I'm hallucinating. This sucks. I'm tired. I'm hungry. But this isn't even a sliver, not even a sliver of what those men went through. And it strengthened my resolve for sure. Yeah. I'm reading the book. It was written in 1959. I'm like, this thing reads like a Hollywood blockbuster. I I literally cannot put it down. I wonder if they have a movie of it. I checked. They they have not made a movie. I was like, this is like, uh, this is DiCaprio, The Revenant. I mean, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. There's another book by Angela Duckworth called Grit. And it ties in really nicely with endurance because grit is more the scientific 
resolve, resiliency, grit, toughness, fortitude that these men displayed on their voyage and their, their expedition. Cool. I'm glad you've read it. That's definitely... I've thought of you when I was reading that book. I was like, awesome, Ryan has to read this book if he hasn't. Such a great book. All right. So I want to respect your time. We're already over here. I know you've got big things going on. You probably have all kinds of people on Facebook. Like, where did Ryan go? <laughs> I'm right now. <laughs> where is Ryan? <laughs> no, they do good on... I mean, that's part of the rendering yourself obsolete thing, right? It's like, if they can't function without me, I haven't done a great job as a leader. Yeah. All right. So let's end with this question. What is the one piece of advice you could share with the audience here today that's led to your success? Uh, Do something that sparked your interest. I mean, here's the deal. Here's what most people do. They'll listen to the podcast and they'll hear three or four things. They're like, oh, it's a good idea. I should do that. Eliminate that. I should do that and start putting a timeline on it. I will do that today. I will have this done by the end of the week. Like, Just do it. And what's the worst that can happen? You do it for a couple of months. It doesn't pan out or you don't enjoy it. And you just revert back to your old ways and things go back to the way they always were. On the positive side, the upside of that is that you do something you've never done before and you get a result you've never experienced before and you double down on those efforts and your life is something completely different than what you thought it would be. Uh, if you were to ask me if I was going to be doing this, what I'm doing with Order of Man three years ago, I'd have been like, what are you even talking? I remember the first time I heard about a blog. I was in Iraq and one of our lieutenants was writing. I can't remember. He must have been writing on the computer. I'm like, oh, what are you doing? He's like, writing in my blog. I'm like, what's a blog? I don't even know what that is. And he's like, oh, you just write about your experiences and then share it with people. I'm like, that's stupid. Nobody wants to hear about what you have to say. Like, I wasn't being insulting to him, but I was like, nobody cares. And yet here I am 10 years later, blogging, podcasting, doing the exact thing I said was stupid 10 years ago. So the one thing that people should be doing is the one thing that's bouncing in their brain right now. And they're excited about doing and that when they get into the office and they're trying to put out fires and a client wants to move their money and their kids are yelling at them and their wife got into an argument or wrecked the car, whatever, they forget about what we talked about and they revert into that pattern of old ways and they get the same experience they've always experienced in their life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just take action. I'm with you there, man. This started out as an experiment to me too. And now like, I'm like, what would I... I told one of my former guests, I was like, literally nobody listened to my podcast whatsoever. I would still do it because what I love is the curiosity of having an incredible conversation with somebody I respect and I can learn something from. Yeah. So if my podcast was nothing more than that, it's still a win for me. Yeah, I can definitely relate with that. And the other side of podcasting that I really enjoy and that I look at with the work that I'm doing here is that I do honestly believe that it's a stepping stone to something greater. Like, will I be podcasting in 20 years? Not the way that I am now. Even if it's around, it'll be something bigger and grander and greater. And and like we have all these little steps. So people ask me all the time, Ryan, what's the first step to starting a business? What's the first step to getting in shape? It's like, the first step is the first step. You already know what it is. Just take that step. You don't have to solve world hunger or anything right now or global peace. Like just take the first step, see where it takes you. And then you can take the next step after that. Mm -hmm. Well, man, this has been a very fun conversation. So first of all, Ryan, I just want to say thank you. I've already benefited. We haven't known each other that long, but I've benefited from your podcast, from the time you spent out at the dad's retreat out in Austin and the mission you're on, creating better men. Obviously, there's a a huge shortage of that out there. So thank you. Everybody could use better dads, you know, better husbands out there. So thanks for all the effort and time that you poured into making that happen. You bet, man. My honor. My honor. And thanks for having me on the show. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed our conversation for sure. So hopefully you and some of the guys got some stuff from it. 
Cool. And one other thing that I don't want to glance over, you're also a veteran, an Iraqi war veteran. Thank you for serving our country. I think too often in our country, people just walk around free pursuing their dreams without really giving credit to the people that help keep it that way. So thank you for that as well. Yeah, minor for sure. All right, dude, let's wrap with as far as the listeners here, if they want to continue the conversation with you, where should they go to stay in touch with Order of Man or Ryan? Yes. The best thing is orderman.com. That's our headquarters. So we've got all the information over there. If you are a man and you want more of the conversation that we've been talking about, I know you're a member of the group. Again, that's facebook.com slash group slash order of man. And that's our uh, closed Facebook group with almost you know 29,000 or whatever it is, 29,000 guys in there. So yeah, those are the two resources I'd give you. All right, Ryan. Well, I appreciate the time, man. Have an awesome day. Appreciate it, brother. You too. Take care. Thanks for checking out this week's show with Ryan Mickler of Order of Man. This week, we're actually going to highlight two recent reviews. The first one comes from Brooke Craven, who says, awesome podcast. Brad, host of the Elite Advisor Blueprint, highlights all aspects of investing in this can't-miss podcast. The host and expert guests offer insightful advice and information that is helpful to anyone that listens. I appreciate the kind words, Brooke. Thank you for listening. One of the things I hear constantly in many of the reviews and feedback from our Blueprint listeners is you guys love the guests I have on. So I'll keep doing my best to deliver there. Actually, a little sneak peek. Stay tuned for some upcoming shows with one of the top RIAs in the country who manages over a billion dollars of assets. And also, we'll have one of the foremost wine experts in the world coming up where we dig deep into how to host a proper wine party and talk intelligently about wine, especially when it comes to ordering off the menu. That's always tough. So I'm excited for these shows. Our next review comes in from Andy Storch. He says, awesome podcast for financial advisors. Awesome podcast with high quality guests and tons of value. If you're trying to make it as an independent financial advisor, you need to check out this show from Andy Storch, host of the Entrepreneur Hot Seat Podcast. It's always fun to see who these reviews come in from. And Andy is actually a friend I met out at John Broman's dad's retreat out in Austin. So really honored. And it means a lot that he's giving the show a listen. You're the man, Andy, if you're listening to this. What's fun is that Andy actually isn't a financial advisor. He's a consultant and a coach. So it's really cool for me to see him getting value out of the show as well. He also has his own podcast. So for those of you that haven't checked out his, it's the Entrepreneur Hot Seat. Make sure you go out there, check it out, review it, give him some love. As a financial advisor, a lot of that will apply to you as well. So that's it for this week's show. And for those out there who haven't given a review yet, I'd love if you'd take a quick second to do so at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash iTunes. And if you have future guests we need to have on the show, make sure to include them in your comments as we read all of them and love to grab a great idea for a future guest there. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next show. Take care. The information and opinions contained herein are provided by third parties and have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed by Advisors Excel. The guest speaker is not affiliated with or sponsored by Advisors Excel for financial professional use only, not to be used with the general public or in a sales situation.